Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Holds Barred. Today I'm joined by comedian Carl Donnelly. Hello, Slav. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. What's fascinating about you is that you make money. I mean, no, I mean, that, that came out wrong. You, you make money by making people laugh. And so many people want to do that. It's actually quite quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's hard. Like, it's definitely... It's the hardest bit is the early days when you're sort of trying to make it a living, I think. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it. Uh, my first ever gig was like, I, I did like, a couple of open spots in like 2004. Like that mm. was proper. I was like, you know, I didn't even know what I was doing, man. I was just like bumming around doing a job I didn't like and stuff. And I just started getting interested in comedy. And then I remember 2005 thinking, I, actually, I really like them few goes I had at it. I think I'm going to commit to seeing if, I, seeing if I can do it. And then, how were the how were the gigs? Uh, the I mean, couple? they're crap. Them early gigs, you know, like the the quality of the gigs bad. The quality of the acts is bad. Everyone's just brand new and a bit dicey. Mm. So, and half the audience is just other acts who want to do it. So they're not the best judge of what actually doing comedy is like. It takes sort of a few couple of years probably before you start doing the gigs that so you can really work out what you're about. And also, mm. it's a, you know, what you learn early doors is. What you think works, having a laugh with your mates, might not work saying it as a one-way conversation to a room of people. Where something that you probably wouldn't say to your mates to make them laugh, you can normally you might be you might be able to turn into a really funny routine. It's weird. There's no correlation between the two. There's um, it's it's completely a, such a strange thing to do, and like you say, you're not you you kind of narrate some. I guess all comedians are different. They have their style got really bad comedians like tim vine who I uh, vine. <laughs> uh t, t from the podcast his favorite comedian is tim vine i went around his house once and he's got three dvds <laughs> i've got a book of tim vines i because i i'm i much i much prefer watching comedians that aren't like me and i think mm. tim could tim is like the literal other end of the spectrum for me like i'm my, my stuff's really conversational and story and like i look like i'm having a conversation with the audience whereas yeah. Tim is literally just here is a joke. It's silly. I've come up with it. I'm going to throw it at you and then I'm moving on. There's no conversation between him and the audience. Yeah, yeah. And so people that don't know, he he just essentially just puns and plays on words constantly. Yeah. Each joke, he must tell 
he must tell like 500 jokes in a set. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... It's, it's, yeah. His output is ridiculous. Like, and yeah, it's not. It's one of them things. If you don't like cheesy uh, sort of puns done by a grown up who looks like he should know better, then he's yeah. it's literally what he, he yeah he you will not get on with it. But then at no, the same uh, time, uh, I'm sure there'd be people that love a joke, just love a good old fashioned joke. Who loved yeah. him would probably watch me and be like, he's not doing comedy. He's just talking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's about which category you fall into. I think. Who Who is your favourite comedian? It's, I don't know. You know, it's just, I sort of, I I tend to. F- depends what day it is. Like my favourite, like the people I grew up watching were like Dave Allen was my favourite comedian when I was young. Yeah. And I think that's sort of probably because I come from an Irish family and like it's all that he just felt like, you know. And again, he didn't feel like you were watching a comedian. He felt like a bloke sitting in a chair just telling stories. Yeah. But then, like, once I got into comedy, Mitch Hedberg probably would be, like, one of the big influences on me. But he's an American comic who he died about 10 years ago. And uh, he was, like, he's quite one-linery, but mm. they sort of feel like little stories. And he was a bit of a stoner type, you know, really quirky and weird. What do you think of, like, Bill Hicks and stuff in, you know... I love Bill Hicks. Do you rate him? I, I, loved, I, I absolutely loved him. Like, in, but then I think... You got to remember, he sort of what did he, he died when he was pretty young, you know. Thirty-three. Yeah, so I feel like now some of the things that he was saying that when I was younger were like, you know, you feel like he's blowing your mind. Yeah. I'm now older. I'm five years older than he was when he died, and I've yeah, you know, I've carried on reading and learning about things, and some of it now I look at some of the politics of it, and I can see you can see that it's a little bit juvenile at times yeah it's almost a bit like he, he hadn't matured into his way of thinking yet well yeah and i'm sure he would have because he was the sort of person he was you watch his stuff over the sort of you know you watch videos of him five years before he died so before he died like and he definitely was he was developing i'm sure he mm. carried on doing that and he would have carried on being interesting and he was well funny though what you people forget about him is he was a wicked observational comic you know what i mean he just he really he could yeah. really sell a scene of like when he was talking about gigging in different parts of America and he'd always paint that picture of like the people you would meet in those scenarios. He was a much Yeah, more... like the uh the 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 waffle waitress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well uh, what what are you reading for? Not not what are you reading, what are you reading <laughs> for? So I don't end up a fucking waffle waitress. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. I always loved the one when he was talking about the war. Um I think there was the Iraq war, the first one at the time. And he said, I'm in an unenviable position of being for the war, but against the troops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think it's like a comedian's job to, to, to be political and, and, and try and have positive change? Because I think of like, the ones that really make it, like they've, they've, they've paid their dues and now they, they seem to be talking about the things that are interesting to them. Like, even if it gets them in trouble, like Dave Chappelle has done it. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's at all a comedian's job to do that. I think, it, but I also think it's totally up to the comedian. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll often, I'll, if I can, I can watch a comedian talk about absolute nonsense for an hour and get as much out of it than watching somebody do an hour of politics. You know what I mean? Like I've watched, mm. watched brilliant political shows. I have watched brilliant personal shows. But I've also watched somebody just dick around for an hour and come away from it, think like having as many thoughts about the world and what's going mm. on than I would from somebody telling me that, you know, spending an hour talking about bloody social change. You know what I mean? I think there's no, I don't think there's any rules. I think people try and put too many rules on stand up, you know, because because 
my theory on it is because our sense of humour is such a personal thing. Everyone's sense of humour is totally their own. Yeah. That they feel very sort of protective over it. So when they see a comedian that sort of challenges that, that other people like, they sort of react like it's sort of an affront to themselves. Like it happened with a, a Hannah Gadsby a couple of years ago, who um, basically wrote this show that it was like a cultural phenomenon. Like she did it at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and it won the big award there. She came to Edinburgh, it won the Edinburgh Fringe, like Edinburgh Comedy Award. Then she did it on Netflix and like, it basically is a show about her experience of comedy and being a woman and sort of, it's very political and it's mm. very divisive in the sense that, you know, I think if some blokes who are quite sensitive took it personally as an attack on themselves, mm. a lot of comedians, I think, took it as like an indictment on comedy and it, all, it was just really divisive. But actually, you know, I watched it and I just thought it was a really it was a good hour of stand-up. That was, it was very personal to her and it was really... I found it really interesting and I found it funny as well. So, but I show, it shows that whatever your sense of humour is, you can take something really personally if you if it, something sits outside that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, would you, do you think like the comedians should be given carte blanche to talk about whatever they want? Comedy is comes under attack constantly. Um, hmm. Satire does as well uh, because often you're saying things that are um, that are attacking a certain segment of society. Yeah. Uh, Dave Dave Chappelle does it with transgender people. Uh, Bill Burr does it to to, to everybody. Um, yeah. But <laughs> uh, and there are some people that really don't. They, I guess they rate Bill Burr because of his intellect, his comedic timing, and his ability to write jokes. But they don't like what he has to say all the time. Yeah, I find that weird. Like I think you know, I, I should. Think, what, I, the question I think, I think is, there are is, no should... rules really in the sense of you know. I do think it's a weird like a lot of people sort of. Like you look at Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle are currently two of the biggest comedians in the world. So, you know, I don't think there's any argument that they're being silenced or anything. You know what I mean? They're, they're literally the two of the biggest comedians on the globe. And they're talking about what they want. So I think some people try and pretend like you can't say anything nowadays. Whereas actually you can say what you want and you can still have a really successful career. I think all that happens is if you are somebody who picks those hot topics, it's just going to create, you know, there is going to be a bigger social media fucking chat you know about it which helps you which helps you exactly you know what i mean and also i think social media conversations don't reflect real life you know what i mean like you know only what what percentage of the country are actually on i think it's like not even 20 percent of the countries on twitter you know what i mean so if you open twitter yeah. you think and everything's going off it's all arguments you walk down the street and, and no one's talking about anything yeah yeah it's so true the the you know when before the election in the run-up because of the people who i follow I was convinced that Labour had a, had a good, they had a chance. <laughs> but the reality is that, like you say, 90% of the world isn't on Twitter and like isn't talking about it. So it's not a fair um, I always barometer I'm, of how I'm quite lucky in that a lot of my mates that I grew up with aren't on social media, you know what I mean? They're all just old school South London blokes. So yeah. I always use them as a good example of not, you know, of a way of keeping me like, being aware of what's going on outside the bubble of, you know, I don't spend too much time on social media, to be honest. I never go on Facebook. I pop, I like Instagram's quite fun because it's just old school social media. And it? it's like proper get a picture of your lunch up. That's all it is. <laughs> Twitter you know, is opinions. But yeah, but then you realise it's such a small category of society. Mm. Whenever something's kicking off on there, and it feels like it's a big thing. All I've got to do is mention it to one of my mates. And they'll be like, what? I ain't heard about that. And you're like, oh, right, of course you ain't because it ain't real. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
it's it's, it's amazing how um, yeah, how, how just just how how passionate people are about things that oh. the vast majority of people don't care about. Um, but you know, when people say uh, they 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 watch the news or, or they go on Twitter to get a broad spectrum of of people's thoughts and ideas and what's going on in the world, I hate that. I don't want I don't want to read all i just want what i'm very comfortable with <laughs> exactly and that's it like like you know the, yeah. the echo chamber people talk about the echo chamber like you know you, you create an echo chamber and you only hear your own politics and you only hear what you're interested in yeah that's perfect that, uh, that's exactly how, how i want i don't want to hear other people's politics no i don't care it's also like you're not even hearing people's politics like no one can sum up their entire world view or even their entire opinion on a topic in a, in the size of a tweet, you know what I mean? So, like, mm. what you're getting is their curated version that they think will get the most traction. So it's not even an yep. honest opinion. It's like it's the version of their opinion they think will get likes and retweets. So of course. that's why it's all nonsense. I've never, ever taken anything someone said on Twitter seriously. Even, like, you know, a couple of times I've done little things on telly you tend to then just notice a little spike in responses to your tweets like because you'll pick up a handful of new like followers who've just seen you on a thing and gone oh I'll follow that person and they're not even real they're like glory hunters right all they do is jump <laughs> in because you're on a, on telly and I, I don't want them right <laughs> i want people that have organically found me over the years or see me live yeah uh, yeah so what happens is then you say something and then they'll just reply yeah, I thought, you know, some people reply naturally on Twitter, there's like trolls and that, that try and get a rise out of you by being mm. shitty. And like, I've never, ever in my life once taken a piece of criticism online seriously. Like, I genuinely, yeah. I, I, I feel like some people take it so personally, man. And I just, I, 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 it doesn't even compute with me to take it personally because it's not personal. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. literally like, it's just a digital what? version of someone's. Someone's had an idea somewhere at the other side of the world. They've then changed that opinion to sort of a little shitty version that they can write in a box. That they're just, they're only saying it to get a rise out of you. There's so many stages between them thinking it and saying it to you and yeah. you hearing it that I'm just like, well, that has lost all meaning. You know, I, I found something very strange on, on Twitter the, the other day. Um, there are people that literally copy and paste successful tweets. <laughs> And then tweet them again from their own account. Now, I know this because uh, the biggest tweet I've ever had was when um, Dybala was being linked yes. with Tottenham on deadline day. And you know, there's this... I'm just trying to bring it up to read it to you so you can get an idea of, of my genius. Uh, um, hang on, two seconds. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to raise up my laptop as well. My raise. Um, yeah, so... I tweeted. This is a good podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Essentially, you know, you know, this, I can't find it, but you know, there's this this uh, thing where um, where uh, uh, so so people say, oh, I saw I saw Dybala in the airport, and he he gave me. I said, are you coming to Tottenham? And he gave me a wink, and yeah, yeah, make yeah. that what you will. I just said that he. I saw Dybala. Uh, and I said he'd come to Spurs. He grabbed me by the hair, dragged me into the toilet, fingered me, and whispered Tottenham till I die over and over again until he was finished. Make yeah. of that what you will, right? Something along those lines. Now, if you tweet, if you do a search for the same tweet, there are there's about 150 people that have just nicked it and put it on again, and yeah. some of them have got really good numbers. It's, um, it's like the them thing, uh, meme accounts, isn't it? They do it. And 
chiefs like there's loads of like in the biggest instagram pages in the world that outside of like the kardashians and people like that are just these accounts that basically find funny jokes on twitter they screenshot it and they put it on there as they take them personal yeah. name off and just put it and it's just like again i, I, I wouldn't you know that doesn't really bother me i think it's it's again it's uh, if i suppose i'm of that mind if you pay into that system and you're involved in it you've got to sort of understand that yeah, yeah. the pitfalls well, it's like, the it's other like comedians like i've had it's not i've had a couple of times people have told me that other comedians have ripped off routines of mine and actually then i've you know i've sort of checked and, I, and I, i've sort of been of the mind that a if they have it's you know it's something i've already i've done it to death and i've probably put it to bed anyway yeah and I'm, alternatively i, I also I'm, i'd always lean towards thinking that somebody's just had a similar experience and like they just maybe they've not seen mine and they just you know i think independent ideas do pop up it's when it's proper full-on tea leafery that you see on Twitter. like dennis leary is it dennis leary and uh, bill hicks that yeah was a weird one that was because the... he completely bit his entire <laughs> thing about smoking and it's bizarre because in the documentary i think you've seen the bill hicks documentary yeah yeah there's, there's this bit where they compare them they've got the two jokes and it's identical oh man uh, uh, and it's not like you're going to get away with it. You're both really famous. Yeah. Well, it happens like, you know, that is a weird example that, because that feels like he watched it and just teethed it, you know what I mean? Like, it happens yeah. in comedy now, like, with a lot of TV comics. Not a lot, I mean, a lot is the wrong word, but some TV comics, often TV comics use writers for panel show stuff, because, like, that's a lot of turnover for, you know, you just need little snippety jokes. Yeah, but some some do use you know use them once they get to a certain level, start using them for their own stand up as well, like for their tour shows because they've got to turn out a tour show every year. While yeah. loads of other stuff, they start using writers, and there's been examples where the writers have just half inched someone's just routine. Yeah, yeah. comic themselves um, almost because there's that sort of separation between them and it happening. They they get a slight. I don't know, defensive, like, oh, I didn't know. that. There's, if that writer's nicked it, they didn't know. But it's still, like, you're, you still, I think, have to take responsibility that you've subcontracted out your, your yeah. theft. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when did you when did you realise that you could, you could make a living out of this? Well, I, weirdly, quite early doors. I think you get a good, I mean, I've always, cause I, I think it's because I'm not from a performing background. I grew up, you know, I'm pretty, I wasn't particularly academic. You know, I grew up in a working class environment where like, I, there wasn't no, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I also was pretty down to earth and sort of self-aware. So when I started doing stand up, when I was doing open mic gigs, I could, I was quite, I didn't have much of a background of understanding comedy. I didn't watch loads. I just had seen what I liked. So I sort of got a good sense of where I stood in the pecking order of open spots, and I think mm. quite early doors, I just I realised I was I was normally on on the open spot nights I was I was you know notably more confident looking or calm looking on stage. I think I look I think because I was quite conversational and chatty. I think I looked way more. Uh, professional than a lot of the open spots. You can always see an open spot man. They just there's a little look of terror in their eyes. You know, there's normally you can just see a little shake in the hand holding the mic. There's little tells yeah. that like I just I didn't have those for some reason. I just took to it quite naturally. So I think. But you I, never felt you never felt nervous. Do, do, do you yeah. get nervous? Do you feel feel yeah. nervous? But it, no. it doesn't manifest in physical. It doesn't come on stage. Uh, I sort of leave it. The moment I walk on stage, I tend to lose it, and it's that's when I thought, oh, this might be for me. 
because like I'd never stepped on stage in my life, man. I used to hate reading out loud in school, you know what I mean? And mm. then the first time I ever went walked on stage to do a gig, I was shitting myself beforehand, like proper shaking in the toilets, nervous. And then I went on stage, and the moment I actually got to the mic and started talking, I felt this weird sense of calmness and almost like zen, man. It was like I felt. <laughs> and I've talked to people about it since about that one of like I've always found even if if something mad is going on in my life like stressful or like bad really dark shit you know yeah whenever I, the moment I get on stage it all just disappears I go into this sort of weird sense of quiet in my mind I'm not overly thinking when I'm on stage and it's sort of the quietest my mind is probably outside of when I meditate or something and actually it's probably it's meant to be a thing called flow which is like a creative thing when you're actually in a sense of flow your brain is very still and just lets the ideas come out so that's mm. what i felt very early on like i went on stage and i felt like totally i felt more calm on stage than i did off stage um did you was you aware of this idea of flow before taking lots of psychedelics um yeah i was told about it probably a few a couple of years before i had done that and then actually I then could retrospectively look back at it <laughs> and I had uh, experienced certain uh, we, so we therapies. are we're going to do another podcast Carl if this is okay with you where we talk about these alternative uh, therapies that you've When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Undertook. Yes. And the impact that it's had on your lives because it's, on your life, yeah. or lives, depending on how much psychedelic you've taken. Uh, the the because uh, the, it's fascinating because you had a wholesale life change based on a couple of experiences uh, with DMT. Yeah, DMT, which is fascinating. And, then, uh, and I'd say DMT was probably the most extreme in terms of a change of world outlook, or not even world mm. outlook, but just a sense of my place in it. Uh, Don't say any more because uh, that would be a nice teaser to, to when right. we record again if you're happy to do it. Yeah. Um, but so in terms of the finances, the financial side of, of comedy, is, is, is it difficult to, to make money? Uh, and how, how long has it been since you've had to worry about that? Um, 
it, yeah, it's definitely hard in the early days to get up to the point. Like basically, well, I, I had a job and I'd ended up sort of moving from job to job and I got a job in, I was working for a media company in the accounts department and it was all pretty boring nine to five stuff. But they, they, everyone there was cool and I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but I'd sort of built up to a point where I was earning an all right living. So when I was doing comedy in the background to that, you know, there was that thing of, I always said, until I think I can make that amount or just under that amount in a year off comedy, I mm. won't quit my job. And then it was, yeah, it was 2007. I suddenly looked at the sort of what I had booked in for the rest of the year, gig wise. And I was going, I wanted to go to the Edinburgh Fringe and this was early in the year. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to take that leap of faith. So I just, I basically handed in my notice for the summer so I could leave and go to Edinburgh for a month. And then I just thought when I come back, I'll just make do. And then I came back and like for a couple of years, I got a little bit of temping now and again, but then sort of, it was probably like by 2000, halfway to through 2008, maybe 2009 early. That was when I was like, actually I'm now making more than I was in a day job doing comedy. And my diary was filling up a long, long enough in advance that I could see that uh, this year, mm. uh, this year is pretty much planned out. I can make, I know I'm going to be all right. And do you? Yeah, exactly. uh, and you don't. And 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 you don't have to worry. I mean, everybody's worried now, comedians yeah. especially because you know no one. You can't make money. A lot of people can't make money. But what? Uh, when? When was that period where you just thought, um, I, I, I don't, I don't think about paying the bills anymore oh, i mean it was still like there was still the odd time in them early yeah like sort of that early part of this, this last decade was definitely there was still the odd month here and there where i was waiting for money to come in you know because it used to be gigs a lot of gigs used to be like you wouldn't get paid for about three months by check you know what i mean so yeah now it's all much more digital and quick i reckon by sort of the early maybe like 2012 or something, I think I got to a point where I was like, right, things are ticking over nicely enough now where I've got enough. Yeah, I'm just, all my outgoings are pretty much covered quite comfortably covered, each month. Yeah. And yeah, it's still like, you know, you still have, even now, like you still have years when you'll look at the diary early in the year for the rest of the year and think, oh, I could do with like getting a few extra little bits in in May or June just to like make that year not less than the year before. Do you know what I mean? And do you have do you have like a fee? Do they do you have like you have a booking agent? I guess I've got no? an agent, yeah. And they they negotiate your fees, yes. for each gig, but not for each it, gig. It so it's sort of split because I um, <coughs> I do a lot of my club booking myself. So if I'm doing the comedy store in London, I've booked mm-hmm. that in with the comedy store myself rather than my agent, just because. I've known the comedy. Scumbag don't get a cut then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is sort of that. But it's partly down to the fact that I've just had a relationship with the comedy store since I was on open spot. So I know them well enough that there's certain relationships I like to have myself one on one. So a lot of the mm. clubs I've just I got in with before I was with my current agent. So I just sort of like to I like to keep them relationships, you know. I mean I like to pick up the phone and call the comedy store and say, Right, yeah. can we put some dates in for the end of the year? You don't even have to say your name, just go, it's me. Um, well, no, but I, get, I know I'm well enough that I can sort of say, have, call for a catch-up and then put some dates in for most of the... That's, I mean, I'm in quite a lucky position in that. I'm not a TV name, but mm. in terms of the live circuit in this country, I'm probably, you know, I'd be in a good sort of... You know, I'd be in the... I'd be always in a sort of running for a Champions League or Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always uh, going to be does... there or thereabouts. So I'm in that round of like they'll always all the I get on very well with all the clubs and they like, they sort of always 
make sure to chat me some stuff when they're doing their next rounds of booking. Nice. What um, do do comedians get more chicks um, than your average joke? Is it think, easier yeah, to I, pick up women? Yeah, I think I, I definitely think if yeah, if you want to, if you know, it's there is definitely that option. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to have a routine about a thing called vickering, which is basically what I, I call comedians who do their gig and then sort yeah. of float around the exit. Like, like a vicar on the, when everyone's leaving church, and like, and that is that was based on my own experience of periods where I was a bit, you know, off, yeah, yeah, of course, when I was looking for uh, new parishioners. <laughs> but yeah, I'd have to come, my ladies. Yeah, it's a, it's a common thing. I've got a few mates who are the king of the king of the vicarers, man. My mate Jimmy is a he, he's a very yeah he's he's just a single guy. He's a classic bachelor. Like late thirties, never settled down, lives alone, and he, um, you know, he, I, I, he does this. He, he'll do a little loop. Like we'll finish a gig. Like if it's like a club gig, we'll all be having a drink in the dressing room, and he'll just go. He'll just be like, I'm just going to do a loop, and he'll, just, <laughs> <laughs> and he'll just do a loop, just a loop, just so that people, you know, if anyone, if there's any sort of a, you know, it's almost like casting the net out in it to see yeah, catch any yeah. nibbles. We are uh, a men are uh, scumbags, aren't we? Well, we, I suppose, but we are, but we aren't at the same time. There's nothing. I don't. I think as long as if it's a married bloke, you know, doing that, take the wedding, wedding ring off before going on stage, sort of gross, mm. which actually isn't very common anymore. It was much more common back in the day, man. I remember when I started out, I caught the end of like what comedy used to be in like the '90s, essentially, which was a lot of. Like married blokes moaning about their wives, essentially. And it was almost yeah. that was what comedy was. I think, you know, it changes every decade. And I think the 2000s, when I started, was definitely a decade where it opened up a bit and everyone got a bit more personal and talking about different things. And now this mm. last decade has been much more, you know, open it up even more, like in terms of different people from different backgrounds. And, you know, it's much more. There's much more women doing comedy, you know, getting on telly is much, you know, now you're seeing more like black Asian comics and stuff like that. You know, I think every decade there's different changes. But mm. yeah, it used to be just, that's why in the 90s it was all just white blokes moaning about their kids, essentially. That's what comedy was. Your, your comedy definitely benefited from that change. Um, and I've seen you live twice. And I've got to say, it's, you, you know, how, how I've told you many times how funny your stand up is. Um, but my favourite story, and just before we end, because I know you've got to go and do your other podcast, is, um, it is I think, pretty unique to, to, to your experiences, obviously, um, but unique to comedy. And this is the story about ayahuasca. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in, can, would you mind regaling that uh, from the point where you and your mate decided to do some of your own? Right. Yeah, I've got, I mean, basically, I'll give you the very abridged version, which yes. is um, me and my mate read about ayahuasca, which for anyone who doesn't know is a hallucinogenic tea that most people fly to Peru and drink it in the jungle with a shame. Yeah, you go on a pilgrimage. Yeah, and I've since done it for real with a with a shame and sort of, I did it, but it was in the UK. But, um, I, but where was you then? It, it, most people go to Peru, where were you? When I did it, for real, yeah. or when me and my friend did it, on our in this, yeah, yeah. Me and my friend brewed it in my. Uh, well, he brewed it in his house, and then we drank it in my flat in uh, in South Wimbledon, <laughs> which um, 
and it was everything it just basically it all went wrong we drank it and we just started throwing up there was none of the benefits there was no thing like you know, there was none of that euphoria or anything there was we didn't learn anything basically we just threw up quite aggressively for a couple of hours and then basically long, in, when i tell the story on stage it's like a 15 minute story where i sort yeah. of give, give the ins and outs basically it turned out um when, when you brew it you're meant to do loads of like quite ceremonial things like you're meant to play music and you're meant to like, sort of stand over it for hours and talk you're meant to talk to the to the tea while you're brewing it to get to know it and um a few hours after it had all gone wrong and we'd vomited we were, me and my friends <laughs> were playing fifa and i sort of said to him do you think you messed it up when you were brewing it and he was really defensive and was like oh, i think i did it all right back and forth for a bit it got a bit shitty because like, he sort of you know he'd done all that hard work and i just now was just being a bit of a dick about it yeah and i just said to him why don't you talk me through what you did just so we can check the next time to not get it wrong if we do want to do it again and he talked me through the list and then he got to that bit where he said uh, i said to him did you talk to the teammate and he was all like yeah you know sort of <laughs> And I was like, mate, that is such a, that's a yes or a no, isn't it? If you talk to flipping four pots of tree bark for 10 hours, you, that's, there's no in-between. Yeah. And he went, well, it was awkward, wasn't it? I went, yeah, of course it was, mate, just what happened? And he told me that he'd spent about two hours talking to it and then ran out of stuff to say. Should we show the YouTube clips for the rest of the time? <laughs> It's, I mean, when he told me that, it was one thing oh, mate. I, I laughed so much. I was so <laughs> shocked and disappointed, but laughed so much. And it's, sometimes something happens, it, like, I always have, like, a proper <laughs> eureka moment when, when something happens to me in my life that I'm like, it, it's almost a ready-made snap yeah, yeah. routine. Yeah, that is, ge- that is genius. It's like leaving the radio on for the dog when you've, when you've left that radio for <laughs> Frank, Frank will like that. I am. Um, um, mate, I, that's incredible. Thank you so much. No and uh, yeah, definitely want to have a conversation to regale some of these uh, stories you've got. Yeah, because I've heard, heard so many of them. They are amazing. Going wrong, mate. Ones that actually have some benefit to our lives. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about it all, all the way through. All right. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, mate. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 